Hello! My name is Christina, and thank you for checking in to the Home for Weaved OCs. This is a podcast where a friend and I talk about our original characters. The good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Friend guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Of course. Hi, I'm Margot. If you've listened to the episode featuring my other OC, Magpie, then you know a little bit about me. Today, I'm here to talk about another tabletop character. Yes. Nitra Zar, my uh, Star Wars tabletop character slash OC. But yeah. So, where do you want to start with Nitra? Would you like to start with context or how you came up with Nitra as a character or like in character biography? I think I'll start with uh, how I came up with her originally because it was kind of a. Yeah, shoot. She's another one of those characters that, um, really started kind of before tabletop and then was realized by the game she was in oh Uh, cool really um she started as kind of a vague idea i had when i was getting back into star wars it was it was just after the mandalorian had finished up Mm. i think around the time that the seventh season of the clone wars uh tv show was uh was back in swing and ah yes the good star wars yeah the really good Star Wars. <laughs> and end of all things, I had just come back from a, a trip to Disney that I wasn't too sure about going on originally because um, it was uh, kind of back in this March. So it was a little scary with, uh, with everything going around. But uh, it was a uh, yes. It was my dad and my two little little baby siblings were like seven and four. So I was like, I'll I'll be there for them and try and make sure they don't get into trouble <laughs> in an amusement park as children are wont to do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i was thinking about what do i want to want to what i like i want to get a souvenir or something what do i want to do and I'm like hey they have that build a lightsaber thing what's the deal with that and i thought it was a lot more simple um then i found it's oh? a whole like experience thing that you have to reserve or make a reservation for and i was mm-hmm. like there's no way mm-hmm. i'm getting in but i'll try so i i got put on the little wait list of like, yeah, if any slots open yeah. up, you're good to go. And I was like, there's no way this is going to happen. And I signed up at the beginning of the day. And it was going, it went pretty fast for a bit as far as like the slots opening up. And then it kind of stalled out. And I was like, okay, it's not happening. But all of a sudden, yeah, okay, there's the notification. I'm going to go build my own lightsaber. <laughs> the force willed it, Margo. <laughs> it did. It, it truly felt like uh, it was it was there with me today, uh, that day. But, you know, I went through that whole process and I built my lightsaber and it was very fun. And I tried not to be a 21-year-old 20, crying uh, in the middle of this thing as the Force theme came on. But, you know, it kind of... I can guarantee you would not have been the first definitely. and you will not be the last. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> but, you know, from there, it's been kind of a build-up. And, you know, I kind of confronted, I want to say, um, sort of Star Wars and kind of what the franchise meant to me. Because it's something I had grown up with since I was really little. It was the first thing... I remember, you know, mm-hmm. being just mm-hmm. so absorbed in, you know, I was the, I was a yeah. prequels bra- baby and I, I grew up with knowing Anakin and the stuff first before I watched the, uh, the original trilogy. So I kind of got the weird chronological thing, but you know, yeah. as many people did, and as we were talking about a little bit earlier with the sequel trilogy, things got a little rough. There were some good things. There were some good things. Some really good ideas that especially did not get realized that would have Rose been Rose Tico. Nice. Yep. Finn. Yep. Ray being just kind of not related to these two humongous families 
uh, in the galaxy and, you know, yep. being a powerful force sensitive just by being her own person. Mm-hmm. 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 Found family. Yeah. I had a lot of, uh, a lot of gripes with the secret trilogy and I had kind of just been like, okay, well, this is kind of bust and just very kind of oof with things. But, you know, yeah. after a while I was like... <laughs> The one really good thing about Star Wars is that so many people are making it, so if I want to just focus on the really cool stuff coming out of this, I can do that, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really, it kind of started with that, me sort of picking up Star Wars again and talking it over with uh, one of my good friends, who had also been kind of coming up with their own little Star Wars character at first. And I had, like, a little ideas, but yeah. I hadn't given a, given this character in my head a name. And I forget when, but originally, and a lot of this carried through, uh, it was kind of an idea for for a Star Wars comic that I would kind of write on my own that would be kind of a little fun thing. Mm-hmm. One of those very ambitious goals of like, we have no preparation for this, but sure, you can try it, Mar. Uh, give it a shot. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was just kind of panning those ideas out. I kind of got an idea for her. And, uh, eventually, from a lot of those, like... The fact that she was, you know, a survivor of Order 66 and, you know, a former Padawan, so she never got, like, the full Jedi training. Yeah, yeah. And she kind of wound up turning away from all the Force and stuff to really just survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, before the tabletop, I did come on the name of Nietzsche Czar, and that was actually a little fun thing, because... I, I based her off some characters I had from the uh, Star Wars The Old Republic MMO. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm putting the pieces together. I've got the the Pepe Sylvia board with the red with the red yarn uh, on this character, <laughs> and then yeah. out of the blue, I kind of get this uh, invite to um to try out a Star Wars game uh, from another good friend of mine. Okay. Sandy. She was very courteous in extending that invite and letting me sort of get in on this really exciting thing that I'd actually wanted to try for a while. I'd heard about like the Star Wars system and stuff. Um, yeah. May I ask what system? The uh, Specifically, we were using the Force and Destiny system from Fantasy Fli- Flight Games because that's the one that covers okay. Force using characters, but they've got a whole thing where mm-hmm. they've got um, the three core rule books, depending on what mm-hmm. specific setting you're going for. Okay. Yeah. It's actually, I actually kind of really liked it. It was a really kind of weird switch over because it's a very, not a lot of numbers system. Yeah, because isn't that, isn't Fantasy Flight the one where it's like, you have the dice that like, they don't have numbers on it, they have the symbols, and it's like, oh, you get two triumphs and a failure. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, they have the sort of pass-fail kind of dice, as I, I call them, but they, I think they refer mm-hmm. to it as, like, their little patented narrative dice system. But, um, it's, yeah, it was really interesting being a, a 5e player primarily and being very used to, this is the number of your attack roll, these are the modifiers, this is where your stats are mm-hmm. coming from, this is the damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no math in Star Wars, Margot. <laughs> There's very little. There's only odds that you can't tell Han Solo. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so I got invited to that, and also my other friend, they were also invited, who had kind of, I'd been shooting off ideas with as far as, you know, our, our own Star Wars characters. Mm-hmm. And so Nutrazar became kind of fully realized as a Padawan survivor, and 
kind of turned uh, bounty hunter blade for hire sort of thing. Okay, okay. Ran with a rough crowd, but, you know, kind of getting into her backstory, I guess, you know. She was, uh, yeah. she started off, you know, as many Jedi do, being kind of born uh, for sensitive and very apparent, but I was like, we're gonna make this fun and interesting in my my way, which is a little little bit of edgy, like kind of shadow the hedgehog hedgehog edgy, but <laughs> I th- I I stand by this. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Sonic, really. A lot of my other friends are, but Shadow Hedgehog is cool, and I think we all need to come to terms with that. <laughs> I feel like Shadow the Hedgehog. Nope, not C O G. H-O-G. It's really hard to pronounce I, it right now. Yeah. I I feel like Shadow the Hedgehog is, he is cool, especially for the standard of cool, as was the year that he was created in, which I think was like 2005 or something like that. Yeah, yeah about that. Uh, yeah, I'd say he's the yes. he's the peak of cool of that era. But, you know, I think we need a little yes. bit more uh, 2005 cool back, you know. It was it was a fun time. Just wait a couple years; it'll cycle back into pop culture. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, having connected Nietzsche to my old OCs, who were uh, a bunch of Sith lords, I was like, "Well, let's say she's probably got just kind of this innate sort of dark side pull, because that's mm-hmm. really interesting for a little Jedi." Yeah. So I I wrote out that she uh, takes on kind of the. Uh, Jedi thing pretty enthusiastically as a youngling. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of struggling, like, a lot with everything that doesn't have to do with being really good at fighting. Yeah, yeah. As you can imagine, the uh, the little dark side-pulled girl had a lot of trouble with the meditation, and that's where she winds up meeting one of her kind of best friends for life, Nilvaros, who was kind of just a backstory character I, I came up with, mm-hmm. sort of to expand on things. And Nil is another youngling girl training to be a Padawan and everything. And, you know, they click as best friends and Nietzsche's definitely got a little kid crush. Aww. But, you know, that's that's uh, against the Jedi code and everything. But building on sort of that first kind of... I, I really always love the content that sort of interrogates the Jedi code with the longest stick it can and sort of pokes it to see what falls out when you when you do that. Yeah, I have a lot of, especially in their parallel to the church. I have a lot of I have a lot of issues with Jedi and with with the with the Jedi code and the rigidity of it. Mm. Like I, I think I, I feel like their philosophy. If it was a little bit more flexible, it would be pretty good. Yeah. But it's not. No. The, so. It definitely has a lot of problems, which is actually something we wound up talking about a lot, sort of in and out oh, of really? character in um, our, our tabletop campaign. Yeah. Because nice. my friend's character, who they brought in, was Zero Ross, who, unbeknownst to uh, Nitra or Zero at the time actually kind of had the mutual connection of Nitra's master, who was Zaro's best friend before he left the Order as a political dissident at the start of the Clone Wars. Okay, okay. And Zaro and Nitra, not significantly, but they kind of had these sort of light conflicts on the Clone Wars and the Jedi Order during it, and sort of the code itself. Nitra very much believes that the, the Order failed for one reason or another, 
both kind of internal and external. But she kind of... It's hard to break that sort of ideal of what the the Jedi were meant to represent. And that's also another thing I really like to, to pick at with Star Wars. Meanwhile, mm-hmm, Zero mm-hmm. is very much, these guys messed up, and it was because of this, this, and this. And that's why I got out of there, because they were not doing the right thing anymore. Yeah, fair. So, kind of back to Nitra. She actually becomes a Padawan just at the beginning of the Clone Wars and kind of lives through a lot of that up until Order 66, Mm -hmm. which, as many people know, is one of the, like, darkest parts of, like, movie Star Wars in which, you know, Mm -hmm. all your good buddies are now not your good buddies. And so... Yeah. Real quick, was Nitra one of the... Something one of the things that they established in the Clone Wars cartoon, right, is that Jedi were field forces for the Republic. Yes, was she one of those as well? Um, as much as a an eleven or twelve year old can be, which is another like really glaring kind of scary thing about the Jedi Order during the Clone Wars is you had yep. children, uh, Ahso- child soldiers. Yep. Ahsoka was some. 14 years old at the very start of uh, of the series. And that was uh, another thing that uh, Zero and Nitra briefly talked about. It was like, dude, you they had you as listed as a commander. You were a, a kid. And, you know, she, she very much had a bit of that role. Yeah. Unbeknownst to her, her good friends that she made out of her, her clone trooper comrades tried to keep her out of it, but... Yeah. You know, it uh, it was kind of when 66 came around for her, I I sort of had the idea that she was absolute I mean, it's hard not to be when uh if you think about the circumstances of a lot of like the Padawans growing up in the middle of this war all on Venators and going around the galaxy, your only friends uh that you're with regularly are the soldiers around you. Which, you know, mm-hmm. for a for a very lonely kid already, yeah, it was the easiest thing for her. Especially because, oh, these mm-hmm. are a bunch of people who are like, kind of like me. They're very into the action, you know, charging headfirst and everything. So yeah. when the order came down, she was very kind of torn apart, especially at the death of her master. And it kind of... Yeah gave in to her innate sort of connection to the dark side and led her to do some very scary things to the uh, to the clone forces who were who had turned ah yeah and one of the things i've always found very interesting is lightsabers and the kyber crystals being kind of alive in a sense and very influenced by their users mm-hmm. emotions and so this instance led to her bleeding the crystal of her saber and it turning red another ah, thing that freaked her out yeah so eventually she's kind of left alone having survived this sets in whatever coordinates to um a place in the outer rim on a shuttle and manages to escape and mm-hmm. she lives her life kind of in the dark as many surviving jedi did Mm-hmm. In, like, the dark side of the Force, or just, like, incognito? Incognito. However, I would say it's also pretty accurate to say the dark <laughs> side of the Force, too, considering yeah, yeah. sort of her first kind of stepping out of the shadows was working with the Partisans, who are the 
sort of darker side of the rebellion, the faction that the Alliance never wanted to really associate itself with, you know, Saw Gerrera. Ah, uh, okay. Because, you know, she's angry. And that's the, the best direct way to kind of get back at part of the mm-hmm. structure that hurt her. So, does a lot of... Easy, quick revenge. Exactly. Does a lot of scary things uh, with them, kind of keeping her force sensitivity and her uh, her abilities on the down low. Until mm-hmm. one day she winds up seeing the partisans pick up the sort of wrong target and strike at somewhere that's very sort of civilian. Uh-oh. It kind of is that sort of cold water to the face where uh, she realizes this isn't good. You know, this is oh, against no. a lot of... They're the bad guys. Yeah, they're they're not super good. So <laughs> she kind of finds it in herself to try and save people from uh, this sort of explosion that the partisans have rigged up on this uh, Imperial Training Academy. Uh, unfortunately, she's not very successful and gets caught in a blast, which having her method of trying to save them was to cut open this rubble with her saber. So she's been kind of exposed both as oh, you're one of those survivors, and as kind of, you know, she couldn't stand for what uh, what her organization was doing. So mm-hmm. she's not mm-hmm. successful and gets caught in a, in a second blast and winds up pretty scarred up on her right side, but she also loses her lightsaber, you know, it gets destroyed. Oh no! And coming to after that, she's sort of in a holding cell with the partisans, uh, is like, I need to get out of here and hide again. Yeah. And manages to kind of ditch her way out of that and go back to running pretty incognito around the outer rim and stuff. Eventually, mm-hmm. she uh, she's making her way into a hangar in this uh, spaceport uh, in some more unknown planet in the outer rim as our game master hadn't uh, just really felt like picking one in specific. Where she feels yeah. the sudden kind of... Mm-hmm of the force to one of the hangars and that's where our game starts okay okay and that has been quite a ride we we finished last week i think uh last wednesday oh, wow. in fact it's actually the the first wow. tabletop i uh i've ever seen to like full conclusion so that was very nice but um Congratulations to you and your party. Yeah, it was it was a really good time, and we're all we're all very much hoping for a, a little sequel thing with them because we're all very attached. Yeah, yeah. But to kind of give an introduction to that, which is it was Nitra, Zero Ross, as I had mentioned, who was another former mm-hmm. Jedi who was living sort of on the down bow. A Sathari, who are these avian humanoids, a soldier named Strix Munit. Played by another of my good friends. We're all we all kind of knew each other going into this. And the star of our cast, the fan favorite, T05 TR Toaster. T05 TR love it. Who I love them. Was a gonk droid who turned a out A gonk droid? Yes. Who turned out to be weaponized for one reason or another oh why this uh this strange pull in the hangar all three of the organics are feeling it and they they wind up hearing blaster fire from inside strix uh goes up 
to the top of sort of the en- entrance to the spaceport. Kind of like the, you know, in Tatooine, they have the big opening up top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Strix winds up going up there, and Nishra follows after to see uh, Strix sort of aiming with her rifle to see what's going on down there. And they have this very funny moment of like, hey, what's going on at like this sort of, in this situation? And Strix is very much like, eh, not much, just seeing what's up in there. And Nishra's like, anything interesting like it's very much like we both have realized we're uh we're very much interested in these shenanigans so there's no real reason to be suspicious of each other meanwhile yeah yeah zero makes his way directly into the hangar and goes to see what's up and meets uh after a while here's the blaster fire stop and meets up with these two bounty hunters who are like hey nothing to see here keep moving and he's like all right cool just check it and eventually one of them goes, wait, 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 I know you. And Zaro, uh, who is currently a skip tracer, which are sort of the more non-lethal debt collector, talk their way through things kind of bounty hunters. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Has gotten himself into shenanigans. Yeah? It's like, hey, there's no need to be, uh, to start any trouble. You know, I'm just moving on out. And... Eventually, the bounty hunters pick a fight with him, and Nietzsche and Strix are like, we should probably help that guy. Uh, so Nietzsche slides back down the ladder, rushes in with a vibro sword drawn, Ooh. and just like, hey dude, take cover, and charges the bounty hunters, and meanwhile Strix is providing covering fire. And things are going kind of rough for us, we, uh, we get hit by a, a stun grenade, which really saps our, our strength. But oh no! All of a sudden, in the midst of this fire, a gonk droid walks in to the scene and pulls out a heavy <laughs> blaster rifle and just begins firing How? on the. It it came out of like a side panel and just kind of turned because oh okay you know how they're shaped they're okay. like the big boxes right um so it just yes. it just pops right out like a like a little Batmobile gadget. Gonk, like, for, for listeners who have not seen a gonk droid before, they're the ones that basically look like they they put some extra cardboard on top of a cardboard <laughs> box and then put this refrigerator box, like, over a person's head and just told them, hey, walk around. Yeah. They got legs, but no arms. <laughs> it's very funny to me because their power or, like, their purpose was uh, was never really elaborated on. They were just kind of there. Until like some so probably probably literally because they were like we need a we need a droid to fill this space yeah find some cardboard and throw it over Jerry from engineering <laughs> and Jerry would never know the star he really was because I mean same thing as that ice cream guy with the data core or whatever <laughs> that is the I can't believe they would make any part of the uh, the Christmas special real. <laughs> I think the the one thing when they said uh, when they brought up Maz and and Chewie having some kind of thing, I don't know what the legitimacy of that was, but I was like, one sided thing. It, it could have been, but I was just so no lumpy. Where is my boy? <laughs> Where is Limpawaru? But yeah, so Toaster really carries the weight there and helps us clean this up. And yeah. We uh, we cornered the bounty hunters in in the ship they were raiding, and Mitra jumps in through a hatch and immediately charges them. And Zero's like, "Wait, wait, wait, dude, just just talk, <laughs> please." And the bounty hunters are like, "Dude, we don't want this. You guys can have it, whatever." <laughs> and so we 
find out what they came here for. The cargo of a few smugglers. And we open it up. Uh, well, actually, before we open it up, Zara takes it first and immediately just feels the force emanating from this thing. And he just, nope, puts it, drops it on the ground. And everyone's like, are you good? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, 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 we, we need to take this out of here. So we, the gang finds themselves a little private room in a cantina and opens the thing up. And it's a Jedi holocron. Nitra and Zara are both very aware Ooh. of this. Strix has no idea what this is, and Toaster doesn't either. Yeah. However, this thing was definitely what was calling to the three of them. So Nitra's like, I know what this is, and uses the Force to open it up. And they are greeted by the Jedi Master Suljo Ward, who is, well, not him, but the Gatekeeper, which is the programmed AI of the Holocron. Okay, I was gonna say, the name sounds familiar. I, this is technically a canon adventure, so I'll probably skip kind of like past a lot of the uh, the more detailed sections, but I know he recently got featured on the Every Star Wars Character Twitter page. Huh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, uh, his gatekeeper informs us of Suljo Ward's power, uh, a special sort of version of foresight that uh, he used to great uh, effectiveness during the Clone Wars. and offers to teach it to us if we can finish the holocron as it is somewhat incomplete. The gatekeeper informs okay. us of three kyber crystals scattered throughout the galaxy during Suljo Ward's travels that ha- contain the rest of the information. And with that, uh, after some convincing, it's just like, okay, okay, you guys can do whatever you want with what we find in this once we finish, but I need to do this. I'll explain later. Yeah. Very yeah. much like, hmm, Zero's saying nothing because he wants, he is very much stepped away from the Force and wanted very little to do with it. And Strix and Toaster agree under the idea of credits, so. Yeah, yeah. This sends them on their first sort of mission out into the galaxy and their greater quest. And from there, they travel all throughout, from Outer Rim planets to Mid-Rim cities evading and eventually encountering the empire and an inquisitor yeah because at this point what approximate year are we in are we in if i like if i remember correctly our our gm said it was supposed to be about six months before the battle of yavin almost a year Mm. so nearing okay okay nearing the original trilogy but sort of the last few remnants of the inquisition are around and Nitra uh, and Zaro obtain their lightsabers at uh, early on at a visit to Zaro's home planet, in which he finds his box full of things, which leads them to an ancient Sith temple by accident, where Nitra oh, no. finds a lightsaber collector in a sarcophagus. Uh-oh! Yeah, a little scary. It was very much a cause for concern. Cursed sword time! Cursed sword, indeed, actually. But... You know, they, they continue on this adventure, and it leads them through a lot of perils. Uh, Zero comes to his decision of sort of whether or not to stay on the uh, on the fence about these things, and kind of comes into his own of, I need to do something about it, you know? Jedi and stuff are gone, but there's still stuff I can do. Nitra is dealing a lot with her conflict of light and dark, and trying to adhere to uh, 
you know, sort of the the right path, despite this constant pull that has only been exacerbated by her uh, her new lightsaber. <laughs> and yeah. Strix becomes kind of is who is very wary of the Force and kind of everything that the uh, sort of Jedi and had come to to represent. Mm-hmm. You know, she was very mm-hmm. much a oh, you mean the space wizards? Yeah. <laughs> but they all kind of sort of figure their their way uh their way through it. Yeah. Toaster's motivations remained kind of a mystery up until the end, where uh, he very much <laughs> was like, no, I care about these meat sacks that I have befri- befriended. But Aww. a lot of Nietzsche's journey was sort of her trying to become the Jedi she wanted to be and to yeah. fight back the darkness, you know, despite all of the obstacles in her way, including like, you know, Zero had a vision at one point of her turning against them. And going full dark side. Yeah, which I'm assuming is the art that I'm currently seeing on Discord. Yeah, actually, that's a it's a very close uh, approximate. It's uh nice. We had one encounter where we were trapped. Well, we had been beaten by the Inquisitor. Uh huh. Toaster Zero and Neutral were all taken captive. Strix jumped out of a window <laughs> because she's Yeek. a bird person and she can glide away. And Toaster wound up getting sent to a, a droid, basically unmaking place which was very dire oh no while nitra and zara were taken aboard the inquisitor's ship zara wakes up by himself in a normal cell however nitra wakes up fully patched up in the sort of upper floors of this star destroyer they're in and goes around to find empty hallways that nobody seems to be in eventually meeting the inquisitor face to face Oh, I thought you were going to say Darth Vader. <laughs> no. I was very scared for a second that we were up against Darth Vader. And, like, our, our GM was just pulling that card out. Because that would have been absolutely terrifying as low-level, yep. force-sensitive characters. However, Nature meets our main villain, Zamnix, an Imperial Inquisitor, who seems to have taken an interest in her. And sort of presents her with her and Zero's lightsabers. And begins kind of... Talking about how he sensed, you know, Nietzsche's very strong connection to the dark side. Mm -hmm. Villain monologue. Villain monologue. And how he wants to obtain Sudral War's power. And for her to be his apprentice. And how he can help her attain, you know, that kind of power that she's already sort of starting to to get into. This leads to him very much goading Mm -hmm. Nietzsche and her kind of cracking and bursting out in anger at a... At mention of her killing her former clone allies during 66. And this leads to a small duel in which she is very much beaten and given the scar across her eye that you can see. And it is that mm-hmm. scar that Zero sees in his vision when he's being attacked. So after that session, the next session started with a lot of the characters being very sort of knocked off the horse, especially Nitra. But with the help of her friends, Uh-oh. she manages to kind of get back into things, even though she's still very scared about the idea of turning on the, the new family she sort of come up with. Eventually, yeah. our travels take us to the last planet where the um, kyber crystal of Sudra Ward is located. Mm-hmm. Which is, unfortunately for, for the gang, the Sith homeworld of Moraband. Uh-oh. A, a planet steeped in the dark side. Welcome to hell. <laughs> Pretty much. Star Wars hell. Probably the closest thing second to Mustafar, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's the closest that Star Wars, a universe that hates religion, 
We'll have to hell. <laughs> Pretty much. And, you know, this leads to kind of a lot of the trials they face on this planet are their most challenging. Zaro is called yeah. to by the dark side and his sort of idealized world where he, the Senate that, you know, called the Jedi Order traitors and called for the death of his friends has been burnt to the ground. Oh no. Strix loses her arm uh, in one of the fights. It's a pretty devastating injury. Oh no. Especially for her because our our GM kind of said this as like a little, it, it wasn't necessarily joking, but I was like, you know, oh hey, but oh Strix might never fly again. And oh no. this was incredibly kind of the, oh no, Strix is having a rough time. And she's also watching Nitra and Zaro specifically be influenced by the dark side and kind of has some misgivings with the force. Meanwhile, Nitra just before this received a message from the inquisitor stating if she gives the location of the crystal they're looking for, she'll be guaranteed to survive the battle. But uh-oh. Uh-oh. And of course she's not going to, but there's a lot of things tempting her to kind of settle this on her own. Thinking, you know, look at the gang being beat up. It's better if I take this thing by myself. This is kind of my thing to fight. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. throughout all this, you know, on Nietzsche's side of things, she she faces a lot of things calling her out for the darkness, but her friends stick by her. And, you know, even going mm-hmm. forward into the very ending fight against the Inquisitor, yes. she has her friends with her. And this actually leads to her previously redeeming Jedi Master Sulja Ward in conversation without even having to, like, swing at him. (laughs) And the sort of finding that this kind of... She she winds up to the conclusion of, you know, despite everything, despite the Jedi being gone and, you know, all this stuff, there's still good to be done and especially that good is found kind of in the in the new family she found and there was a very mm-hmm. poignant poignant moment in that last session in which strix and toaster come to the aid of zero and nitra who are on the uh the rooftop of this temple fighting the inquisitor and yeah strix takes a shot at the inquisitor and just call it, kind of calls out with i'm not losing another family today oh. yeah it was it was very emotional And um, at the end of everything, they found the last piece of their quest. And, you know, Nitra had managed to beat what she thought was fate to defy the uh, that kind of dark side. And, you know, she has a big moment of just hugging everybody in the party. Zero tries to refuse, but um, Nitra's (laughs) a lot stronger. It's the end of the game. You can't refuse a hug. You, You can't refuse the last session hug. It's, no, you're not allowed. And eventually we, you know, we we get back on our ship and we hear the final words of the gatekeeper of Sujo Ward, who congratulates us on our victory and everything we've done and suggests that, you know, we are truly kind of worthy of the the power we found. Mm -hmm. And... That's where things kind of wrapped up, as our GM actually managed to sync the the um, ending sort of dialogue perfectly with the finale theme. It was Aww. it was actually incredible because like the bum 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 happened like just at the end of the last sentence, like 
a beat after that that little period. And Yeah, it was great. One of my favorite things about Star Wars is the music. God bless oh John gosh, Williams. It is phenomenal. I'm actually I'm writing Legend. A, a little paper for a, a music and culture class on um the spark from The Last Jedi, the piece that plays where uh Luke's sort of astral projection arrives on crate because there's a lot going on there actually I, I watched a couple youtube videos explaining like oh here's a little reference to like agamemnon that williams wrote in here to infer i would love to watch these videos if you have them available marco i will definitely send you the link once i can grab it i don't have it immediately on hand but i can i can get it in this it's okay we're we're in a recording it's fine i this just would true. like to see these videos because i Here's the thing about me, listeners. I love music. Like, I don't know a lot of music theory, but I love music and I love learning about music. As a... I don't want to say farmer, because as a a musician on hiatus, it's been a little while since I've picked Mm -hmm. up things, and also a a music enjoyer, the, the music of Star Wars is... Something else, you know. I don't think so good. I don't think it. People give John Williams as much credit as they should. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very weird to say that, considering that Star Wars is one of the most famous movie soundtracks. But there's even more, you know, when you mm-hmm. really go diving in. Mm-hmm. My, I need to relax and keep my brain from spinning in perpetuum. Music is listening to Princess Leia's theme on repeat. <laughs> because it, it's just so peaceful and so relaxing beautiful. oh my gosh it's it's so mm-hmm. hard and you cry because carrie Fisher. yes there's actually so many soundtracks in star wars that i realized oh this, this, will, this will just get me to tear up yeah it is mm-hmm. it is still too soon with uh her passing mm-hmm. that's why i remember her take your meds <laughs> put some glitter on your face so it sounds then like we've reached the end of Nitra's story in your campaign. One real quick question that I have for you, Margot, is I don't think we addressed what Nitra's lightsabers, plural, look like. Oh. And that's important for a Star Wars character. This is true. Uh, currently, she has the uh, the one that she found in the tome. Her old one's still a bit in pieces. But mm-hmm. at the moment, it was this very kind of ancient weathered sort of thing with this very kind of archaic design and very ornate. Mm-hmm. It was described mm-hmm. as having this sort of silver, almost kind of Damascus patterning along the uh, the very kind of black, solid stone Ooh. handle. It's this very, like, imposing weapon. And I kind of... Yeah? I weighed in on some extra points of the design when I, I drew it later on. And it very much became a very interesting thing for her to have around. However, its most striking feature is the blade, which is, as one would assume, a very stark red. Yeah. And as of the end of the campaign, he's still currently. However, I do have some ideas for uh, for that changing as time goes on. Yeah. I think, I forget, I believe it's Rebels where it occurs, but um, there's a moment where... Uh, because the kyber crystals are these kind of living things with the force, a corrupted mm-hmm. one winds up getting healed. Okay. I have rolled around the idea of when Nitra gets to a point where she's kind of strong enough with the light, her taking the time to heal her own crystal. And it's it's very interesting. Yeah. The sort of very obvious sort of implications with that of Nitra's lightsaber called out to her because it related to her, in a sense. Its origin story yeah. was... 
not super elaborated on because we didn't have too much time, but uh, essentially mm-hmm. it belonged to a Sith Lord who had been fleeing the old Sith Wars and kind of the downfall then and had taken refuge yeah. and was hiding in the shadows, similar to Nietzsche after the fall of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Lightsaber is like, hey, we're both tired. Yeah, we're both uh, super so tired. You wanna you wanna swing me around? But <laughs> eventually I really like the idea of her healing the crystal and in a way healing part of herself. And that's uh that's one of the really mm-hmm. I really like the archetype of Jedi Survivor. Yeah. Uh as we've seen in um, you know, Fallen Order especially and like Rebels with uh mm-hmm. Kanan Jarrus. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know how much you know about Fallen Order. Have you played through it at all? Um, is Fallen Order that one where, like, you can cho- you can choose to go either light side or dark side, and the protagonist is a- is a red-haired white boy with, like, a little droid companion? Um, yes to the second thing. There's not really much of an option for the first part. It's pretty strictly Cal as a Jedi, but yes, Cal Kestis. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, yeah, I feel like I- I feel like maybe the choosing size was played up a lot in the promo materials then. <laughs> it, it could have been, honestly. There's a, there's a few Star Wars games that are like that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I, I played through that game to the very end, and it was really wonderful. It's also part of kind of what got me back on the, the Star Wars train after having been kind of off of it for a, a good while. And I think the most wonderful part of that game is... Mm-hmm. It very much is kind of an RPG crew in your your companions and your protagonists. Yeah. And it's very much a story about healing done through the context oh, of Star Wars. And mm-hmm. it is very just kind of wonderful to kind of see that story being told in, in the game, you know. You've got yeah. a lot of characters who have had a lot of misgivings and regrets in their past and a lot of bad things happen to him, you know. Uh, you have Cal Kestis, the former Padawan survivor. Seer Junda, who is the mm-hmm. ex-Jedi knight, sounding a bit familiar. And, you know, the yeah. pilot, Grease, <laughs> who's got some trouble with a certain gang of criminals. And then Marin, who is a survivor of the Clone Wars as well. Yeah. There's a there's a very poignant line that Marin gives when she joins up in the in the party. And yeah. it's it's one of the things that I kept thinking about a lot during the campaign, and especially with Nitra, of uh she she talks a lot about how the Jedi and her people were adversaries and, you know, her being partners and sort of friends with Cal, the protagonist, uh isn't very likely considering that. And this is I believe this is the line, but survivors we adapt. And it, it's very much kind of like one of the biggest things I like to think about in sort of the, the post-Jedi Order world of you have all these factions after the Clone Wars who have been beaten up and broken down and all have wound up kind of living uh, under the, the fist of the Empire one way or another, even when they were enemies before mm-hmm. with each other. And yeah, they've really all, you know, you, you get groups like that where it, everybody kind of comes together and it's, it's very wonderful to kind of see that and then there's all there's a lot of little dialogue you can get 
that kind of show the crew very much caring for each other and that's kind of uh i'd say where uh our our crew wound up in uh in our rpg the uh the crew of the singing yeah. Savret, uh was our ship i believe nice love of an alliteration but, you know as i mentioned like they they stood by nitra even when things were going really rough and it she herself felt like she was more a danger to them and mm-hmm. i think that and sort of what I was saying about kind of the the healing thing really play into like one of the biggest things I like about Star Wars, which is its central theme always yeah. being hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this then sounds like a good point for me to go ahead and ask you the last question for today, Margot, which is, why do you love Nitra so much? I'd say because she's kind of an expression of me loving something that I wouldn't say got taken from me, but kind of you know, loving something that meant a lot to me again and sort of enjoying it once yeah, more. Yeah, reclaiming it. Yeah, that's that's a good word for it. And also, she's very cool. Yeah. I threw all of my little favorite <laughs> character design aspects. Her her black and white hair is my favorite thing to do anytime I'm making a character. It's kind of a bad habit now. Yeah. But, you know, I think the biggest reason I love her is, yeah, she's a character about reclaiming the things you love, both in her story <laughs> and out of it. Yeah. That's very good. I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you today about Nutra, Margot. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm glad I could. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm always yelling about Star Wars in some way or another. So. <laughs> so it sounds like then this is the part of the show where you get to uh, do shout outs and tell us where you would like to be found on the internet if there's any place where you would like to be found. If you would like to remain inscrutable, I also totally get that. Um. For now, I will remain inscrutable. I'm still working on my art and stuff, but hopefully in the future I'll I'll actually Mm -hmm. be doing more with that. I've kind of got like that spike of motivation where it's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on some things. So, (laughs) and look, after the year that we've all after the years uh, plural that we've all had, uh, we deserve to chase motivation whenever we find it, as long as it's not. Something that is harmful to other human beings. <laughs> or yourself. Absolutely. So, hey everyone, this is me giving you permission. Go have go have that ice cream that you've been saving for a special occasion in your freezer. Go watch a TV show. Put your feet up. Maybe don't doom scroll on social media, but do some do something nice for yourself. In in the immortal words from uh, Parks and Rec, treat yourself. Yes. I was trying to think of, I feel like there's a Carrie Fisher quote about that, but I don't remember what it is, and I, I don't have the time to sit here and Google it. <laughs> I, I have a feeling it's, I'm bad with quotes. It's okay. It's all good. Okay, so real quick, current events blast. I'm just going to say what I said on uh, last episode with Zan, which is, uh, I encourage everyone to do one small thing to make someone's life better, whether that's calling your representative and encouraging them to uh, support legislation that uh, improves human life, such as the women's reproductive health bill that is, I suspect, going to be going to the floor of Congress in the United States within the next couple of weeks, whether it's making a donation 
or volunteering to help a charity or aid organization in your area or in your country, whether that's something as simple as reaching out to a friend that you maybe haven't talked to in a while, just do something small to help people because it'll help you too. And also because there's so much, there's so much darkness in the world and we need to bring things into light. And not just me switching over to <laughs> switching over to my Google Drive and having my retinas burned by my computer screen. <laughs> the Helpful Ray Widow Seas is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be found through Acast and your local podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is Vile by Pottington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. We can be reached at waywardocpod at gmail.com or at waywardocpod on Twitter. If you would like to talk about Wayward or the other Corner Podcast Network shows, which are Loser Like Me, Not a Fire Boot You First, and Faithful, we have a Discord server. There should be a permit invite available on the show Twitter accounts, but if you can't find it, let us know and then we can get you the permit invite. And I'm always interested in uh, more guests to come on the show to talk about their original characters. So if you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, please feel free to drop me a line if you're interested or there is also a handy-dandy Google form that is the pinned tweet on the Wayward Twitter account. So all of those would work. And, of course, this is a podcast, and it's always incredibly helpful if you can rate and review us on your listening platform of choice, and maybe even suggest us to a friend, because that helps us to find a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This has been Helpful Wayward OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. No, I think that was just my chair, actually. Aww. He might come and visit us. He knows how to open doors now. It's scary. <laughs> You're listening to a Make Mom Proud Project. Republic. My name's Daniel Hurd, and I'm the host of a brand new podcast from the Make Mom Proud Project and Ding Dang Industries, Star Wars Made Me Gay. Now I know what you're thinking, how can someone possibly make a whole podcast about that one time two extras kissed in The Rise of Skywalker? Well, here's the secret. We think Star Wars is way more gay than previously thought. So come join us as we make the queer soul run in less than, or maybe exactly, or maybe more than 12 episodes on season one of Star Wars Made Me Gay. We'll be exploring the film canon with some guests that E-Rock, as well as asking, are Obi-Wan Kenobi and C-3PO secretly gay icons? Star Wars Made Me Gay drops Tuesday, March 16th. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us at Make Mom Proud Project and at Ding Dang Industries on Instagram to stay up to date on what's going on in our galaxy, sorta, kinda, nearby. May the force be with you. Ding Dang. Ding Dang.